Aloha. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but none of what we discuss replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. To screen or not to screen? Well, these days, that seems to be the question. And for women, we often talk about that regarding mammograms. But for men, we're talking about that regarding the prostate. Prostate cancer is something that can happen as men get older. And sometimes it may not be very aggressive and may not be something you have to worry about. But there are plenty of people who get an aggressive form of prostate cancer. And it may not be something we want to ignore. So today, to help us to figure figure out what's going on, what we should do, what are the new methods of screening, who should be screened, and how we can make this make sense to all of us. I am pleased to say we have Steve Davidson here from the Hawaii Prostate Coalition. And we also have Dr. Charles Kim. He is a urologist at Polymomi Medical Center with over two decades of experience. And today we're going to be talking all about the prostate. Thank you, gentlemen, for joining me. Thanks for having us. Now, Dr. Kim, let's start off. Women don't have a prostate. Okay. No, they don't. You know, yay for me. I mean, we have other organs, but I don't have a prostate. So when we think about prostate cancer, this is predominantly in men. This is something that, this is completely in men. This is something that can happen as people get older. But we have a, well, you have a prostate for a reason. What does the normal prostate do? What, what is the function of the prostate? And how do you know if you're having troubles that you need to be checking out for? So the prostate is a male sexual gland. Uh, you know, the, the man has um, his uh, testicles and he has his penis but he also has a prostate. Now, the prostate is not as familiar because you actually cannot see it. And uh, when uh, a patient comes to see the urologist, they get a rectal exam many times. And and the reason why we do it is because we're actually feeling um, the prostate to see how big it is and what it feels like. The function of the prostate is to make seminal fluid. And the seminal fluid is what the sperm swim in. So the testicles make the sperm. And then uh, it, they stay, stay within the seminal fluids. So the purpose of the prostate is to provide that fluid, which is necessary for reproduction. And when, when the prostate functions normally, everything works fine. But there are certain times when the prostate might do things that are not normal. What are some of the abnormal things that can happen for the prostate? I know cancer is one thing, but in some cases, it can just grow bigger. It can just get larger and cause troubles. So what are some of the abnormal things prostates can do? So the most, most common problem that a man will have is BPH. And BPH means that your prostate is getting enlarged. And, and this comes with age. So it has a lot to do with the, uh, the hormones in our body. And as we get older, the, um, the different hormones change. And as a result, our prostate gets bigger. Now, when your prostate gets bigger, sometimes it will cause urination trouble. So men will have um, what we call nocturia. Nocturia means that you have to get up at night to go bathroom. Usually when you're 50 years old, about once. When you're 60, it's twice. When you're 70, it's three times. And then when you're 80, it's you know, up to four times a night. Also, um, their stream becomes very slow. They have what they call hesitancy. You have to wait for the urine to come out. Sometimes you have this uh, feeling of incomplete voiding. So in other words, you, 
don't empty your bladder completely. So those are different symptoms of BPH. Now, that is something that can happen to a lot of men as they get older. Is it almost ubiquitous? If you are lucky enough to reach the age of 90, can it be pretty much assumed you'll have some degree of prostate enlargement? Oh, yes. About 80% of all men will have an enlarged prostate. So in some cases, the prostate, when it's enlarged, can be can be taken out or it can be shrunk, either with medications or with surgery. So there are some treatments for enlarged prostate. Yeah, so normally if you have mild symptoms, we just follow it. If you have moderate symptoms, you can have medication. So, you know, we have um, alpha blockers, and we also have these other different kind of medications that shrink your prostate. And then actually nowadays we're actually using uh, some of the uh, Cialis also to help with urination difficulties. So those are different things we can do when you have moderate symptoms. But when you have severe symptoms, usually it requires some kind of surgical intervention. Now, some of the folks who have problems with their prostate, it might just be enlarged. It's normal prostate cells, and they get bigger. But under certain circumstances, you can actually have cancer develop in the prostate. Now, a few years back, when I was in training, the recommendation was at age 50, have a digital rectal exam done either by your primary care provider or by a urologist, and also go ahead and have uh, the prostate checked into a blood test called a PSA. But as time has gone on in the last several decades, those recommendations have changed. So what is the latest as far as screening for prostate cancer? Well, let me give you let me back up a little bit here. <clears throat> so we we began to do PSA screenings in the 1990s and we we found a lot of patients um with prostate cancer and a lot of them got treated and a lot of them got cured. However, some studies came out in the mid 2000s that showed that uh, maybe we weren't doing such a great job because when they looked at patients who got screened versus patients who didn't get screened, there was really no survival advantage. And as a result, um, the recommendations began to change. And so the U.S. Um, PS Task Force, which makes policies about how we should screen for different things like mammograms and, and prostate cancer with PSA, actually came out and said that we should not do screening with PSA. And so that happened in 2012. And I would say most of the primary care doctors, the family practitioners doctors, began to follow that policy. And what we noticed was that over the last few years, we've begun, have, we've begun to see a lot more advanced prostate cancer, a lot more metastatic prostate cancer, which I think actually surprised the USPS task force. And so just recently, in May, they actually did a draft recommendation in which they said that um, they're going to change their policy and that they do recommend that we talk to our patients about PSA screening at the age of 55. And I think that um, there's, there's a lot of validity to what the USPA's task force was trying to do because they're trying to uh, use evidence-based medicine to decide how we're going to take care of men. And, and the, you know, I think the way we do screen is flawed. So PSA is not that specific for prostate cancer. We, def we find many men who have low-grade prostate cancers that are not going to grow, they're not going to cause the patient to die. And 
we over so we over detect and as a result we over treat. So it really made urologists begin to think about how can we screen more intelligently. And as a result, we began to look at different biomarkers. So we have now urine, blood, and tissue biomarkers that we're using to supplement PSAs. So if you have a high PSA, instead of going straight to a prostate needle biopsy, we can get one of these new biomarkers. So um, the urine one is called the PCA3. Uh, the blood is called the 4K score. And the the tissue one is called a confirmed MDX. And these have been shown to be much more specific for prostate cancer. So it actually will decrease the amount of prostate biopsies done by 50 to 75 percent. And so um, this is probably the new way that we're going to be screening. And we also incorporate MRIs, which we can talk about later. So essentially what we used to do was order a test that could be elevated for a variety of different reasons, could be elevated because of a serious problem or maybe a not-so-serious problem, or in some cases even enlargement. Lots of things could elevate this nonspecific PSA test. So you're right, 2012, they said, maybe don't do that. And a lot of people decided not to order the test, or men decided not to do it because it was really, it's not... It's not necessarily the blood test that is the problem. I mean, it's a blood test. Often you check cholesterol, you can do another test, but it's how we interpret and how we deal with the results. So doing a lot of biopsies that potentially have side effects or consequences or treatments that might be provided that in fact may not actually, like you said, extend life or in fact be as simple and easy and benign as we think. There are some side effects to some of those treatments. So now our protocol hopefully will change to be more accurate and specific. So would you think with the new recommendations that people in primary care situations should go back to doing the PSA and then if it's elevated, have someone do some of the more advanced testing? Or do you think we'll get to the point where we start doing some more of the advanced testing and screening? Well, I think that um, it's important that the primary care doctor realizes that um, PSA is not uh, all bad and that there's some benefit from PSA testing, uh, but you have to know its limitations. So um, the recommendation now is that you discuss with your patient you know, the pros and cons of PSA screening. There was actually an interesting study that showed that if a person, when they're about 50, 50 years old or so, if they had a PSA and it was less than 1.5, that the likelihood of them having prostate cancer develop in their life was very low, and that probably at that point, they probably could just get a PSA done every three, four, five years. You know, you don't have to do it every year. Um, but if you had a PSA higher than 1.5, then um, you become a little bit more high risk of developing prostate cancer in your life. And you're, then you're the kind of guy that should probably get an annual digital rectal exam, should get an annual PSA. Um, also, I'd like to say that these new biomarkers that we have, the urine, the blood, the um, tissue markers, they look for aggressive prostate cancer. They do not look for the indolent slow prostate cancer. So we're trying not to find the slow-growing ones. We're trying to find the fast-growing ones that can cause a problem for the man. Well, and that just makes sense because if, if it's not going to cause a problem, 
We don't want to do a surgery that could have complications, urinary incontinence, lack of ability to achieve erections, even in some cases, some issues of fecal fecal concerns. So, I mean, we don't want to cause harm. That's the general message. And certainly if we can do testing that is focused on those people who would have the best benefit and the highest risk and the people we're most likely to help, that's where we want to expend our efforts. Now, speaking of prostate cancer, you know, our other guest today, we have Steve Davidson from the Hawaii Prostate Cancer Coalition. And, you know, Steve, you've been down this road and you helped to spearhead this whole support group that helps men to understand more when they get a diagnosis, what to do next. Having been in this position and hearing the diagnosis, you have prostate cancer, what... What do you think when you hear about some of these more specific recommendations? Is this something that if you had a friend now who had turned 55, would you recommend them to do some of the testing? Would you be concerned if they were told not to do prostate screening? What are your thoughts having walked this road? Well, the Hawaii Prostate Cancer Coalition is an advocate for patients and for all men. And so uh, we're uh, very uh, supportive of testing. Um, And in general, I'd say most men who've been down this road uh, or who are at all active in in advocating for uh, for men, uh, in many cases, would like to see more screening than perhaps physicians or or researchers or, or governmental bodies would. Um, we're using ages, for instance, like 50 or 55. At, uh, at our support group, we occasionally have men come in who are 45 who already have metastatic prostate cancer. It's quite unusual, but it does happen. And um, as Dr. Kim noted, when um, uh, doctors started heeding the U.S. Preventative Services Task Force recommendation and decreased the number of, of uh, PSA tests they were doing, none of us were surprised to see more cases of advanced prostate cancer because while we certainly weren't finding those uh, uh, cases of indolent prostate cancer that didn't need treatment, we also weren't finding the ones that were aggressive. And so we fully expected to see more aggressive prostate cancer, and we have. So yes, we certainly would support testing and we're very, very happy to hear the work that uh, uh, Dr. Kim is doing and the other folks at Polymomy who are not only uh, using the PSA, which is certainly a very imperfect test, but that they are beginning to use these uh, much more advanced sorts of, of tests, which can distinguish between um, indolent prostate cancer and aggressive prostate cancer, which the PSA does not do. Uh, and uh, and which many of these are done on the mainland routinely in private practices, in medical centers. Uh, but here in Hawaii, we're sort of uh, behind the times. So it's very good to hear this being done. All right. Well, we won't be behind the times after the show, everyone hears <laughs> uh, today. So, yeah. all right. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio. You're listening to The Body Show. And today we have Dr. Charles Kim. He is a urologist from Polymomi and also Steve Davidson from the Hawaii Prostate Cancer Coalition. When we come back, we're going to talk some more about what are some of the things that we're doing now. Once you do screening, if you find that you have a problem, what are the next steps and how can technology help us? We'll be right back after this quick break. Stay with us. 
Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. Mahalo to contributors Bush Consulting, Sacred Hearts Academy, and Urgent Care Hawaii. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Today we're talking about prostate cancer, and we are because there are some new recommendations on how to really take a close look and do screening for the people who need it the most and identify those who are at risk for having serious problems with prostate cancer and make sure that we get them treated when they need to be with the treatments that they require so that they can live a long, healthy life beyond that diagnosis, as we've seen Steve Davidson do from the Hawaii Prostate Cancer Coalition. Dr. Charles Kim, let's walk down this path. Let's say that... You have someone who sees someone like me. We find out that they have an elevated PSA. I send them to see you. You do an exam. You notice that there might be something that requires further intervention. If you identify either on exam or through laboratory studies that someone needs to do further testing, what would be, in the old days it used to be, okay, you need to do a test, we do a biopsy. What are some of the options now looking at these new types of biomarkers that we're looking at? So very importantly, we, uh, we look at what the PSA value is. So you know, normally, uh, normally uh, a normal PSA is 4.5 or greater. It varies with your age. Um, so if you have a PSA that might be slightly high, uh, because PSA is such an imperfect study, we may recommend that we just repeat the PSA, wait a couple months, and then repeat the PSA, see if it really is elevated. Um, but if it is elevated, or there's something like a prostatic nodule uh, on digital rectal exam, or you have a strong family history of prostate cancer, then we'll probably take this elevated PSA a little more seriously. And instead of going straight to a prostate needle biopsy, uh, we would probably do some of these new biomarkers that we kind of talked about before. So going back to the biopsy, you know, the biopsy, about one out of four will be positive. So that means 75% of men will get biopsies unnecessarily. And there's things like um, pain and bleeding, but also infections that could happen. And so um, and no one really wants to have a biopsy if they can help it. Uh, so these new biomarkers will help determine who might need a biopsy. So the, the one that came out the first was the PCA3. It's a urine test. And this test will give you a number. So it tells you like uh, 25, 35. If your PCA3 value is greater than 25, that's considered abnormal. And then that should lead to a prostate biopsy. What's interesting about this test is that it's supposed to only find aggressive cancer. If you have a PCA3 that's less than 25, then it has a 90% negative predictive value, meaning that there's a 90% chance you do not have aggressive cancer, you don't need a biopsy. And that eliminates about 50% of the people who get the test. And then those who, who have a high PCA3 um, will go on to have a biopsy. But as we began to study this more, we saw that maybe there are some patients who may have a lower um, risk cancer that are caught by the PSA3. So the new test that has come out is called the 4K score. And the 4K score is a blood test. 
And this blood test looks at these different calligrins uh, in our blood that suggests prostate cancer and only aggressive prostate cancer. And it's probably the most precise biomarker that we have. So they talk about something called AUS, uh, airy under the curve. And, you know, things that are love above 0.7 are considered significant, but this is 0.9, and um, most tests don't have an AUS of 0.9. So this blood test um, gives you a number between 1 and 95, and it's actually a percentage. So uh, if you have a 4K score that's 95, that means there's a 95% chance you have high-risk cancer. And a 1 means there's a 1% risk of high-grade cancer. So low risk is considered less than 7.5%. High risk is greater than 20%. And then there's an intermediate group between 7.5 and 20%. So if you, men who are less than 7.5, that's about 50% of all men who get the 4K score. About 25% of the men will have a 4K score above 20. And then another 25% will be between uh, 7.5 and 20. So that means at least 25% of the guys will get the biopsy. While uh, another 25%, you know, we have to look at the different other variables. And then there's also a tissue test. Now, this tissue test is for patients who had a previous biopsy. So they would take the tissue and they would check for something called hypermethylation. If you have hypermethylation, that means that there is changes within the tissue and the genes around this area where the, the biopsy was taken. And that means there's probably there's a cancer sitting close by, and then that means leading to a second biopsy. So really, we've gone from doing one blood test to being able to do a urine test and possibly do a different blood test. You mentioned the 4K, and then also take a look at even a tissue test so that we're, we're closer to being able to focus our testing for those who show risks that they might benefit the most from treatment. Yes, and um, we also have imaging too now. So we have the MRI, and uh, before we had MRI for a long time, but the MRI has changed so that um, we do this thing called multiparametrics. And with multiparametrics, we're able to see lesions in the prostate, and we're able to categorize them from one to five, whether or not they're high risk for cancer. So of course, a one and a two is a very low risk, three is intermediate, four and five is very high risk. And so we we can actually see lesions in the prostate now. And if you think about it, you know, when someone has a liver lesion, a pancreatic lesion, a lung lesion, and we get a biopsy, we don't stick the needle all over the liver to try to find the cancer. We, we go straight to the lesion. But we were able to do that with the prostate um, because we couldn't see internally. But now we can with the MRI. And we have a new technology, something called Euronav, or fusion biopsy, where we can take the MRI picture, import it into the ultrasound machine, fuse the picture in three dimensions in real time, and then now when we do the ultrasound for the biopsy, we can, we can see the lesion. So now it's a matter of targeting the lesion only. So it becomes like, almost like a video game where you just aim for the lesion. You don't have to do blind biopsies anymore. 
Well, and you're right. That's what used to be done. The prostate is fairly small in size. And in order to get a good sampling, you'd have to take a variety of different, like you said, blind samples. And now if we can target to the area of concern, that really can limit the number of biopsies that someone needs to do. But it also can help get them an answer the first time. Yes, that's correct. So um, ideally, we would love to do uh, MRI right off the bat when we are concerned that you might have um, prostate cancer. Uh, however, for insurance reasons, um, we're not there yet. Studies have shown that doing an MRI right off uh, in, r- before the initial biopsy is very uh, successful, that the high detection rate. But the insurance companies really haven't bought into it yet. So usually you have to have one negative standard prostate needle biopsy before the insurance company will uh, authorize an MRI and a uronav prostate needle biopsy. Well, maybe that'll change. You never know. If we can show that it's actually going to be more cost-effective to do the MRI the first time and do that, then that's probably something insurance is going to take a close look at and try and do what's best for the individual. Now, there is an exciting conference coming up, Steve, and I know that the Prostate Cancer Coalition does a lot of hard work to try and support men who are dealing with this diagnosis, but also just to support their family members and loved ones as well. What's happening later in September? September is Prostate Cancer Awareness Month. We're starting a little early with our discussion today, but what's coming up later in September that could be great news for folks who want to know a little bit more about this? Yes, September is, in fact, National Prostate Cancer Awareness Month, and we're doing a number of activities. The one you're referring to is the fourth annual Prostate Cancer uh, Forum. will be held at the UH Cancer Center uh, in Kaka'ako on September 20th, beginning at 5 and going till 8 p.m., There will be poo-poos, which are excellent every year, uh, tours of the Cancer Center, uh, and then uh, I think we've got four or five speakers. They'll be giving short talks about different topics in prostate cancer. Dr. Kim will be one, and he'll be talking more about biomarkers at that time. And uh, then there'll be uh, about an hour of question and answer, an opportunity to ask questions to the uh, panel members. So this... This discussion is open to anyone? This is free. It is open to anyone, uh, not only certainly to men, but uh, to their loved one, to their family, uh, just like our support groups are open to both men and women. um, And we hope that they'll uh, come and join us on September 20th. Now, if people want to get more information about the Hawaii Prostate Cancer Coalition or about the conference, is there an easy way they can? Is there a website they could go there to? There absolutely is, hawaiiprostatecancer.org. It's all one word, hawaiiprostatecancer.org. And uh, we have information there uh, about the uh, forum on September 20th. And also, uh, one of our other major things we do is to support the Us Two uh, support groups, uh, there's a group at Palimomi, there's one at Kuakini, and there's one on the Big Island. And uh, this is an opportunity for men to uh, come with their questions about prostate cancer. Every month we have uh, several uh, men who are there for the first time and talk with us about their diagnosis. And And we're not physicians, uh, although we do have physicians like Dr. Kim who come and visit us periodically. But uh, uh, we have uh, men there who... Um, uh, have had prostate cancer, some as long as 25 years of experience with all sorts of treatments. And uh, uh, 
uh, and we provide a lot of support for the men and their loved ones who come to our meetings. Well, and I think that's one of the best things about it is to really understand that the diagnosis affects everyone in the family and that it's not just the individual, but it's also all of their loved ones and looking at it and incorporating them in the discussion. And one of the great things that can happen is that when you talk to someone who's actually had prostate cancer like yourself, you can really get that firsthand knowledge of what it's like, what you understand better than better than I ever will, what it's like to receive that diagnosis. And so how important is it that we support everybody who has this and find a way to help them get diagnosed? Dr. Kim, thank you for sharing that with us and also deal with all the reality of making choices about treatment. I want to thank both of you for coming on the show today and sharing your expertise. Again, we'll post on our Facebook page links to the upcoming conference. September is Prostate Cancer Awareness Month. If you haven't been screened, there are recommendations to do so. So talk to your primary care provider and they'll help you. Our engineer is David Chong. I'm Kathleen Kozak, and we'll see you next week right here on The Body Show. (laughs) 